Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Right now, J.P. Morgan, and I want to focus with our Taylor Riggs on one person, the physicist mm-hmm. out of Reading. Marion mm-hmm. Lake is a different person. She's really a nerd, really a geek. How'd she get to J.P. Morgan, and what, what are they grooming her for? I think this is a brilliant move. A CFO, she's been running all of the analyst calls, all of the media calls. For example, even last Friday, for example, Jamie Dimon is calling in from Florida, and she's the one holding down the fort. Right. No one questions her ability to be a key CFO. Moving her over to the consumer business, A, sort of squashes the rumors that we've been hearing about her going to Wells Fargo. More importantly, So this puts is her- about retaining people. It could be, but I also think it's very clear about succession planning. And I think at putting her over in the consumer business, which, as we know, Jamie, J.P. Morgan is best in class. But as we know, they've been sort of leveraging more and more of the consumer businesses, equity and FIC, and some of the investment banking pipelines have been slowing down. They have been leveraging more of that consumer business, putting her in a clear line to be running that specific franchise, I think is also a very smart move. I think a lot of this came as well from the hearings when the House of Representatives had asked Jamie Dimon if a person of color or a woman would Mm -hmm. be the next CEO. He did not raise his hand. He joked with Marianne Lake on the earnings call a few days later and basically said the operating committee makes the decision. I'm not going to. So I think this is very smart for them. It's going to be interesting. I suspect a lot of headhunters are going to be beating their way to these three women's doors who are at J.P. Morgan right now. Other banks not in the position that J.P. Morgan is in right now. Taylor Riggs, thank you very much indeed. It is, you know, for, particularly for those of us that live Watergate, John Farrell, it's an interesting moment. We'll see how interesting by, say, 12 noon today. Yeah, 12 noon, precisely, because at 9.30 we get the news conference, and I have no idea from that point, Tom, when we actually right. see the full report. On Wall Street, I also have no idea how many people actually care and who will be watching. I want to bring in Michael Schell, Market Field Asset Management Chairman, Portfolio Manager, and CEO. Michael, what does all of this mean to you, if anything at all? No, nothing really. Um, I mean, certainly at 9.30, I won't be watching it. I'll be watching the market open. That's you know generally a much better use of time. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be dominating the news waves. I don't think it's going to dominate financial media. I think you guys will, will move on you know, fairly quickly from this. But, but this large document will be passed and turned into headlines and turned into commentary for months months to go. Yeah, I don't want to prejudge the, the outcome of the report, but it feels like a lot of people go in this with a pretty strong confirmation bias, Michael. It doesn't seem yes. to change the minds of many people the more information we get. No, and, and I, I think what you'll find is, is more and more people get less and less interested in this as it goes on, but the sort of political diehards will still be preaching from it into the next election. Do you think it shapes policy outcomes elsewhere, more specifically on the trade story? It was interesting that as this bubbles away in the background in Washington, we take another step potentially towards a deal with China and the United States, perhaps by May time. Do you think that gives us a little bit of a nudge on the trade side? You know, I, I think this report could have gone worse for the administration. I, you know, I, I think it's a president who doesn't mind fighting partisan fights as he goes along. You know, I mean, all the evidence suggests that we are heading towards some kind of a solution in trade. 
And I don't think this report's going to have any impact on that. Let's talk about the fundamentals and how resilient this equity market is. Eurozone PMIs, downside surprise, an equity market that just shrugs it off. What do you think about that, Michael? This equity market is looking somewhat bulletproof in the, in the face of economic data that is weaker in China and weaker in Europe, rather. China a little bit better. Yeah, well, China, you know, is better. And the European data, you know, isn't that bad. I, I think if I looked at it coming in in the cab, it was... Italy and Spain's service data was weak, but Germany's was okay, and for manufacturing, still below 50, but it's closer to 50. I mean, you know, this isn't bad. Um, it's stuff that people know is there already. Um, you know, if you, look at, if you look at economic sentiment in Germany, it's extremely low. The, the zoo index, is low single digits, with a DAX going up. I mean, that, that's generally what I call a positive divergence. I, I, I think that markets tend to move in the right direction, and economists tend to follow. There are two brilliant Bloomberg articles today on what we'll call the European banking mess. How do you take advantage of that? How do you, you know, you were with Oscar Gruss for years with a real European bend. How do you become opportunistic given these stories? Well, you know, I'll tell you a story back from 1991 when I knew absolutely nothing and was sitting around in Oscar Gruss and, and, and for story came across the tape that, that Manny Hanny was, was, was being bought by Chemical yes, and, and yes, one of the yes. partners turned to me and says, that's it, the market, you know, the, the whole cycle just turned. I, I didn't know what he was talking about, but I still think about it 28 years later. So, you know, I do wonder whether if Deutsche Bank could actually get a deal done with mm -hmm. Commerce Bank and they could start cleaning it up, whether, whether that would be something of a turn in sentiment for that banking industry. This is wonderful. Michael Schul, thank you so much. This is a joy, foreign affairs. I talk about, John, I'm a broken record. I'm a broken CD. You run. are a broken record. Every month, it's great, except they've topped it all this month. George Packer, who was the definitive Iraq writer, I, I would say, with the New Yorker. Dan Dressner, um, Ambassador Burns, William J. Burns is in here as well. Uh, Gideon Rose, I'm searching for a strategy. And this is not a Brexit issue. We're searching for a strategy uh, in, the, in America, aren't we? Exactly. And it's really, it's unfortunately, I like the issue too. Thank you very much for your praise of it. Um, it's kind of a depressing issue. I suggested that we uh, shrink wrap some Xanax with it as well. Yeah. Uh, because the entire theme of the issue basically is Trump will have ended up killing off the previous foreign policy, but his foreign policy is not particularly uh, uh, sustainable uh, or effective. And so the real question is, what happens after Trump's foreign policy when U.S. hegemony has right. been essentially shaken to its core but is still standing? What happens next? Does it deteriorate or does it get revived? Every single person listening to this would kill for their children to be William Burns. He is a public servant of the country. He went through the foreign exchange, the um, foreign policy treadmill at State Department and all that. What are the William Burnses of the world doing with our American foreign policy right now? Uh, the William Burnses are basically like the staff of a U.S. embassy with a uh, political appointee, a rich campaign contributor who gets appointed to a major embassy. That would never happen. And the embassy staff spends the time 
trying to protect the U.S. interests and the bilateral relationship from the sort of rich doofus in charge who screws things up. And Really? The entire, That's the way it happens? Well, when you have, look, political appointees come in two varieties. There are some of the best American diplomats in history have been political appointees uh, who, who bring an outsider's flair to things. But some of the worst are people who should never be in government and are just essentially a spoil system. And uh, the problem is now we have the entire government run by a rich campaign donor uh, who's an amateur, and the professionals are trying to make sure that the government doesn't collapse on his watch. And it's a struggle because the White House right now is essentially trying to undermine the independence of the bureaucracy and the civil service and the public service, and everybody is tearing their hairs out in that kind of thing. Gideon, elections have consequences. That goes without saying. I'm trying to get my hands around the kind of foreign policy the American electorate want. Good question. <laughs> uh, I don't know what kind of uh, uh, farm. It's not clear the American public has a choice on these things in the sense that they don't they have a, a real educated preference because uh, reading out their preferences from what they vote is very, very difficult. <laughs> the same people who voted for Barack Obama voted for Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, uh, there's a lot of problems in trying to figure that out. The real problem is they don't like what's being done now. And even though it is successful, and so how do you make it, how do you make people understand the alternatives to current policy okay, can be even worse? Gideon, to the elite world, and John's question is absolutely brilliant. Right. We had two presidential candidates walk away from a multilateral America, right? This, this is the great challenge, which is right now the country's foreign policy that actually is providing security guarantees for the world and stability for the global economy is benefiting the world in general and the United States as the leader in that system. But there have been so many flaws in management of American hegemony, both domestically and internationally, whether it's the Iraq yeah. war, the financial crisis or inequality, that the public doesn't see the good things that American hegemony is bringing. And so they just want to give it up. And then the challenge is, how do you convince people that global leadership can make sense and is worth paying as a price? Is anybody willing to get on the campaign trail and do that? No. And so you're going to have two years of reverse Trumpism in which the Democrats compete with each other to make wild and crazy promises that can't possibly be fulfilled. And then the next president's going to come in and essentially have to have the challenge of dealing with real problems that have not been addressed after four years of drift. And that's the big challenge that we don't know yet what's going to happen when we try to restart a real foreign policy in two years. I just always feel like we have these discussions and we sit in ivory towers about what should and shouldn't be done. But I just get the feeling the electorate just has less appetite for intervention abroad, both in terms of soft and half power, hard power, less always, appetite to deliver foreign aid. It's always been the Tom, case. Tom, that's always been the case, but that has changed quite remarkably yes. over the last five years, and not just in the United States, but in Europe and the UK as well, Gideon. So essentially, I think what's happened is, you know, I was talking, we, we talk about this a lot, and in fact, the next issue is sort of what went wrong, and Tom's going to like that one as well, which is basically yeah, how maybe. did we screw up US hegemony so badly over the last generation. Yeah. But uh, I guess my answer would be that a lot of us took our eye off the ball and we didn't focus on things oh. like the internal periphery and how things benefited sort of, you know, the in effect what you would call Trump voters. Uh, we we contented ourselves with progress on general statistics without necessarily understanding the political reality of that and understanding the progress wasn't being conveyed to voters. And then the voters basically rebelled, uh, understandably. Gideon, really smart. Really appreciate your time, as always, and your insight and your personal view. Gideon Rose, Foreign Affairs Magazine Editor and Peterson G. Peterson Chair. You could go into the podium, elector in the Department of Justice, 
with one, count them, two, three, four flags set up. One is, of course, the American flag, which will be over Attorney General Barr's right shoulder. And then there is the acclaimed and important Department of Justice flag in blue, uh, along with two other blue and white flags uh, as well. And this goes back in history. Greg Vallier knows it is a unique history of the Department of Justice as we await Attorney General Barr and his comments on this eagerly awaited Bloomberg report. Greg Vallier, tell us how through the years that you know that Democrats and Republicans have treated this Department of Justice. Well, usually as a pinata, Tom, whether it was Republicans against, you know, Janet Reno going back a long time, or whether it's uh, Democrats against uh, Sessions and others, it's a highly politicized agency. And frankly, I think uh, William Barr has continued that trend. William Barr, in all the punditry I've seen, I've been told he can swipe. We now see Mr. Barr beginning to walk down uh, the marble aisles here at Justice. Uh, He's got the usual entourage with him. He's carrying about five inches of... uh, uh, documents with them. I would suggest the Valier report from Toronto is within there uh, today as well. We will uh, see on that. Greg, uh, the, the Attorney General is supposedly one who can surprise. Do you think he can surprise today either Democrats or Republicans? He, he could, Tom. I mean, a lot is unknown, but there's a really interesting story in the Washington Post this morning from Giuliani, who says that the Trump team is ready to rumble, that they're going to counter the findings in the report. So the issue then becomes, would Barr be part of that countering? Yeah, Paul Sweeney, I misspoke. Attorney General Barr, that was on older film. I have him walking. We don't know where he is right now. We'll see him here in a number of minutes, nine minutes away from the scheduled uh, panel. Exactly. I think, you know, Greg, I think probably the, the first question a lot of people are just asking themselves before we get a chance to look at the report is, will there be any new news? What is your thought? I think there will. I I think there'll be new revelations about how uh, the White House handled all of this. I think that it will give Democrats an opportunity for more hearings, more subpoenas. But I think the bottom line is going to stay the same, and that is chances of impeachment, 20%, chances of conviction in the Senate, 5%. So, Greg, you mentioned the Democrats here. I mean, let's assume that this uh, report, uh, I think the expectations are that there will be a lot of redactions of this report. Uh, if so, uh, presumably the Democrats will fight for greater disclosure. What do you think their strategy will be in terms of getting more disclosure? How hard do you think they will push or they should push? I think very hard. They're going to listen to the base, and I think they'll go after a, a lot more. They run a risk, however, of overplaying their hand, just as Newt Gingrich did uh, with Bill Clinton. I think that it backfired on the Republicans, and this, you know, an, an overreaction by the Democrats could backfire on them. We should say who the Attorney General is, and for those particularly in our Bloomberg 1130 uh, uh, New York audience, it's of most interest. William Barr out of New York. His father uh, was at Columbia University and then was headmaster at the Dalton School on the Upper East Side in uh, in New York. He went on to um, all sorts of good academics, including the Horace Mann School and George Washington uh, Law as well. And then he's really had, Paul Sweeney, an interesting Washington career. He's made a lot of stops. It's almost George Bush Sr.-like in that Greg Vallier, Attorney General Barr, has not just been in the legal wreck, has he? No, he has a very distinguished 
career. Uh, people who know him speak very highly of him. But I, I have to be candid, Tom. I think that Trump has an attorney general who is more helpful to Trump than Jeff Sessions was. Compared to Ed Meese that we remember from a number of years ago. Yep. yep. <laughs> so it's interesting, Greg, what, what do you think the reaction will be from the White House as this report comes out over the next you know day or two and people really start to dig into how aggressive do you think the White House will be in, in terms of responding? That's a really crucial question. If Trump just hunkers down and lets the storm pass, and there's going to be a few days of uh, rocky uh, relations with the Hill, then I think he's in good shape. But if Trump is Trump and he gets, he gets furious and reacts uh, angrily, uh, I think that could raise issues. I think that could prolong this. If he starts to you know, attack uh, Mueller personally, I think this could drag on even longer. Greg Vellier with us as we await number of minutes away, seven, eight minutes away, and I would suggest the Attorney General may be timely. Uh, we would see that. This is not at the White House. This is not in the press room or any rooms at the White House, at the Department of Justice with a crest uh, standing behind Mr. Barr with a, a blue curtain, very typical federal government uh, blue curtain, the crest of justice on the lectern, the American flag again to the left, and the that famous blue flag of the Department of Justice over the years to the right with two other flags as well. Greg Vallier, the Democrats come in different flavors. You mentioned the impeachment idea, but there can be much, much more here, including prosecution. Will we see text? Do we see footnotes? Do we see appendixes? Do we have any idea? Appendices? It's going to take hours for everyone to wade through what's in there, and there will, I'm sure, be speculation about more indictments. But, Tom, if I could make a quick point Please. about the markets. You know, we all you know, are in the business of talking about the markets for our listeners. I, I would say the bigger story today is the retail sales report. It shows that not only is a recession not imminent, yeah. I, think there's a growing, I think there's a growing chance that this economy could overheat. The economy is clearly rebounding, and I think a chance of a Fed rate cut is, is zero. And I think people may start to talk well, about a, a second half rate hike. Herman Cain out with a, a statement today, if you will, on, on his advantages. Does he persist in uh, moving towards some form of domination to the Fed, or does that become a distraction for the president? The president moves on to saying, hey, look, this is my economy. Give me credit for it. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to say that the big surprise economically is how strong the economy is now looking as, we, as we're now into spring. And I think for the White House, that's something they can yeah. boast about. For Herman Cain, I, I think the chances of him becoming a Fed governor are close to zero. Again, we got a pan right now, Paul Sweeney, of yep. uh, the Attorney General's uh, stage in the audience. I, what, Paul, I'm not good at guessing crowds. You're much better. What do you think? 70, 80 in the room? All of their cell phones ready to go. I think so. It's uh, people. It's filling up very, very quickly. You've got your embargoed report over there? I do. Absolutely. Thank I'm all you. set very to go. Good. But yeah, they, it's it's filling up very quickly and we're you know four or five minutes away. So Greg, you mentioned the markets. It's just been extraordinary. Is there anything, you know, we've had this great start to the equity markets this year, very much of a, a risk on feel. Things are all okay out there. Um, and that obviously is much different from what we experienced in December when one of the issues impacting the markets in December on a negative was, you know, all this political issue out there. Is there anything today in the Mueller report that could trip up the markets? Maybe the market's not discounting? 
I don't think so. I think the markets are correct to assume that this will not lead to impeachment or more accurately to conviction. So you make a really good point. You go back to December. We were fearful of a long trade war. I think that uh, has diminished greatly. I think we'll get a deal with China. Uh, there was a great deal of fear over the Federal Reserve. And I think even though you can rule out a rate hike in the second half. The Federal Reserve is dovish, and they're going to stay dovish. So a lot of the anxieties that dominated just four or five months ago have evaporated. We like to give details, and of course we dive into Wikipedia and any other source we can find for this. Greg, I, I think it's important to state that the Attorney General is an avid bagpiper. I mean, that, <laughs> that, that gives us credit here for moving forward today. I, have we ever interviewed a bagpipe? I, don't think, I, don't I can't think imagine. I don't remember bagpipes gracing these uh, <clears throat> studios. It's a the, most, the most grating instrument of all time. <laughs> that from Mr. Velia. It's a Republican sport, I guess is how we would put it. We await the Attorney General and, of course, this important moment for uh, Washington. We welcome all of you on our uh, different radio platforms and particularly Sirius uh, XM Channel 119 across this nation. Uh, Bloomberg uh, uh, 960, the Bay Area, and a very early morning San Francisco, and of course on the Eastern Seaboard in Boston, New York, and Washington as well. Particularly good morning to 99.1 FM uh, in Washington, uh, where we are certain all of the Beltway uh, riveted to this right now. Again, Bloomberg Radio will give you full coverage of this, not only the comments by the Attorney General and the frenzy, the headlines around all that, but really the further analysis summing up, I'm sure, at 4 p.m. or 6 p.m. Uh, later tonight, Paul Sweeney, with, with a lot more analysis of the 400. I mean, think, again, 400 pages. Think of that. There was a, Yeah, I mean, it was a two-year mm-hmm. investigation and you know, a, a four-page summary. Uh, I think a lot of people are questioning whether that's really sufficient to uh, kind of yep, yep. really dig into what was in the report. Greg, um, I, I mentioned Mr. McGann as my first word search. Jonathan Swan at Axios talking that up as well today. I do agree uh, with that. Who is Mr. McGann and why should I be word searching him? Well, he testified a lot. Uh, there was a period, Tom, where the Trump White House urged everyone to go candid, to, to cooperate. And I think his testimony could come back to bite the White House now. Greg Vellier, stay with us right now. we got to do a data check into all of this. And this is within rising markets is uh, our economic strategist, Greg Vellier, mentioned uh, retail sales better than good and jobless claims showing that what some would say is a fully employed America. Futures flat. They're now up 10. Dow futures up 88, 26,513. And you see it in the VIX in 0.32 points, not, not below 12 to that wonderful 11 handle of a few days ago, but 12.28 on uh, the VIX as well. Yields have been all over the place within a narrow range. Actually, off retail, we did get higher yields, lower bill, note, and bond prices. But right now, Paul, three basis points in, 2.97% on the 30-year bond, the 10-year, 2.56%. I should point out German yields are lower today. They really give back some of the lift that we've seen over the last uh, number of days. Dollar stronger. Paul Sweeney, dollar 97.33 on DXY really speaks yep. to that American distinction. Yeah, the dollar's been just been fantastic. And you think about the dollar, the question is, geez, what 
current what can it depreciate against and we haven't seen any weakness really in the dollar so greg you know one of the things that's been a big issue about this report and the and the release of the report has been this the sections that have been redacted and the reasons why they've been redacted whether it's you know an impending investigation or national security issues or what are the areas or groups of redactions that you think are most you know that can be challenged the most effectively by democrats well i'd say a couple of areas number one uh, you could make a case for perjury that there are people very close to Trump who may have perjured themselves, and there may be a grand jury uh, investigation into that. You know, and I, I think another is just the uh, probably the, the most hotly debated issue, and that was the the meeting at the Trump Tower uh, with the Russians. I think there's still uh, an ongoing investigation over whether people close to Trump perjured themselves about that meeting. Well, to be clear here, not that you know, I want to get into the nite grite, but I will. Um, so you're saying within the report, there were people that spoke to Mr. Mueller and his team, and they just in the normal path of speaking perjured themselves, and that will be blacked out? If there's still an ongoing investigation, absolutely. And I think that still remains a risk for the Trump inner circle that uh, – contradictory mm -hmm. statements may lead to some indictments. I, you know, it, it's important to note that most legal experts believe you cannot indict a sitting president. So I don't see Trump being indicted, but you could indict people around him. We are thrilled to have Greg Vallier with us to give us a perspective here uh, on our economics and, of course, on the political moment. I should state that we can see within our coverage within the Department of Justice press room uh, the 70 or so members gathered are very uh, clearly uh, looking at a single sheet of paper. Paul, it's a single sheet of paper. I don't believe it was redacted, but, you know, the, 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 the some form of single-page press release, two-sided, I should say. You know, the, the redactions yeah. are color-coded, actually. Yeah, this will be something. And, you know, very quickly, Greg Vallier, as we await, I think we just got a one-minute warning uh, from the staff, two-minute warning. Thank you, Colin, uh, on that. Greg Vallier, this is not 1974. I mean, it's, it's not what we saw with the attorney general of another time and place. Well, that's correct. But I, I would say that Trump still faces other issues. One is from the Southern District of New York in terms of uh, payments to a porn star, in terms of the Trump Foundation. So he's not out of the woods yet, but impeachment and conviction, I still think, are very, very unlikely. Greg Vallier, thank you so much. Greatly, greatly appreciate this morning with AGF Investments Toronto. Thrilled that Greg could join us this morning. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.